Let's read today's scripture this morning. I want to read it over us. This is out of Philippians. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God has had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the living word of God for us today. You may be seated. If you have your booklets or your Bible, and I hope you have both, uh, take uh, in them to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Philippians 2, 19 to 30. As we continue our study through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the small church in Philippi, uh, how good was it uh, for those of us who, who've been here a little while uh, to have Jeff Helton last week teach, those of us who, who know Jeff, I, I, I love hear, having his voice and heart uh, shape my own heart, uh, a long history with us as a, a pastor, a teaching pastor through the year, so good to have him back. Now, in setting the context for our passage, Jeff had us in chapter two, uh, verses 12 through 18, and now we're going to pick up 19 through 30. And, and, I, and I really want to set some, some firm edges on our context this morning because it helps us in our interpretation and application. I want you to just keep this in mind, okay? Chapter two is one of uh, the most theologically significant, doctrinally uh, dense portions of the entire New Testament, chapter two in Philippians. Uh, it's it's, a, 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 it's a, like a theological tour de force where, where Paul takes us in chapter two uh, from the, the descent from glory to cross to tomb and from tomb to greater glory. That passage, uh, chapter two, verses five through 11, y'all, it's so significant theologically, it, it's got its own name. The name of that section, is, as Rob has mentioned and, and we spent time in, is the kenosis passage. Kenosis, that word emptying, that he empty, emptied himself uh, in humility uh, of the cross and the tomb. And so, you know, we're not far removed from it, really. We're, we're still in that, in that section. And so when we read our text today, I don't know about you, but if you had, if you had the the, the kenosis passage in mind and the theology of chapter two in mind, and then you just heard that, I, I don't know about you, but it just, it feels rather odd or ill-timed. 
Now, why would I say that? And it's a lot, it's a, this is one of the larger sections we'll cover in the book. You know, normally we're three or four verses. This is a massive section by the way we go through books. I say it's odd because Paul, if you, if you notice this, he, he, he makes an abrupt shift. And I, I would say it this way, from what's profound, the humility of Christ, the deity of Jesus, to what seems rather mundane. Hey, let me tell you about my travel plans. <laughs> Here's what's coming up, you know? So it's odd in that way. And I also say it feels a little ill-timed. Why would I say that? Because I, I'm telling you, he gives a lot of ink to these two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And normally in his letters, when you read them, when, when, when Paul starts naming names, it's because he's at the end of the letter and he's mentioning these names to remember. So we need to feel this, the sense of, wait a minute, he's, just, he's naming names, giving a lot of ink to these guys. We're not even halfway through the letter. So, what, so it's fair to say, what's going on? Why this section? Why here? Why now? And, and, and the answer to that is actually in the letter. So I want you to see the answer and then we'll go back and go through the text. But look in your Bibles, your booklets at chapter three, verse 17. Notice here, Paul writes and says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So here's why he puts that section where he does. It allows him to introduce two very important people in his life, people who've quite frankly shaped Paul's life even as he has shaped theirs, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he wants us to keep our eyes on these two guys. Further than that, he wants us to keep our eyes on people like them right now, today. And it reveals a fundamental spiritual reality that that I want to, to lay, and this you could think of this maybe as the foundation of the message. So whatever we're gonna talk about rests upon this foundation. And it's this, spiritual growth, transformation of heart, life change in the Christian life does not happen in isolation. You, 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 we're not made to grow spiritually alone. Let, let me say it this way. Spiritual growth requires human interaction and not just doctrinal truth. So think about it. We're in this doctrinal truth and right here, right on it, he says, and by the way, imitate these guys, these people. Look for people like this to follow. So knowing that, okay, with that, uh, we're gonna keep our eyes on Timothy and then Epaphroditus. That's the text today. We'll look at Timothy, we'll look at Epaphroditus, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it to a place where he goes, well, what is it? How do we apply that in the 21st century where we live today? Start with Timothy, look at verses 19 to 24. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy. You know Timothy's 
proven worth how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Y'all, the highest accolade that Paul could give Timothy here um, is not, you know, he did a good work, you know, when I left him in Ephesus. It's not, uh, man, this guy knows, you know, the scripture. Uh, Not this guy's doctrinally sound. The, The greatest accolade that he could lift up to say, look at Timothy is Timothy's love. I mean, I want, you to, I want you to see how this guy loves. And we see that when he says he is genuinely concerned for you. He's concerned for your welfare, not above even his own. Um, he's not throwing everyone else under the bus. Look at verse 20, 20 and 21. For I have no one like him. Now that's not to say, you know, all these other all these other guys working with me, they're nothing like, you know, it's, he's not throwing them under the bus. He's referring to those whom he's already said, there are those here in, in, uh, in, in jail or around me in, in Rome um, who are preaching Christ out of envy and conceit. It, that's who he's talking. There's no one, that's who he's describing. When he says, I have no one like him. These, these who are preaching out of conceit as compared to Timothy, who he says will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then note how he, how he defines that. For they all seek their own interests. So there are those who seek their own interest. And he says, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to, to, to get in that statement. To be genuinely concerned for the interest of others is to be interested in the things of Christ. That's what I want you to see. Do you see that? He ties that together. So when we say, well, what does it mean to be more concerned about the interests of Christ? It means to be genuinely concerned for the interests of others. Timothy's great love for them. Then Paul adds, but you know of Timothy's proven worth. That, that, that proven worth is actually one Greek word. And, and the word means what the two English words, you know, mean when we, we hear them, it is that which has withstood test and ordeal. Uh, Timothy has been through the ringer, you all, as a young, young church pastor. Uh, he has weathered the storm. He has faced the criticism of life and, and leadership. And what's, what's interesting to me is it, it didn't make him bitter. It actually deepened his concern. I'll tell you, that's a work of the spirit. Because life and leadership in any capacity, I'm telling you, can make you bitter. But the work of the Spirit deepened his love. It says, Timothy served alongside Paul, a son with a father. Now, this will be important when we talk about the application. You know, in, in our day, children don't generally do what the parent did. So we got to go back in that day. Let's keep it in that cultural context. For the most part, sons did what fathers did and daughters did what the mothers did. And if the, if the dad was a carpenter, the son became, Jesus himself became a carpenter. If the, if, if the father was a, a shepherd, then the, the sons took over the sheep and the goats. And do you see what I'm saying? Now, how did they do that? This is what's gonna be important in our application. Um, they actually didn't go to school for it. 
They just hung out with dad. The daughter hung out with mom. This is how that was passed. This is how that was passed along in relationship with their parents. So hang on to that thought when we begin to apply the text. Finally, he says of Timothy, he says, he served with me in the gospel. He served with me. It's so important. He's, Timothy, there's, there's the apostle and then there's everyone else. But he says, Timothy served with me. You see how he just lifts Timothy up and says, look, he's, Timothy's with me in the gospel. In other words, what, what we are about, our mission in life is the gospel. And so I'm gonna summarize Timothy's life. We're gonna summarize Timothy, then Epaphroditus in a statement that, that, that basically holds what we've just read. And so you look up on the screen, you'll see this in terms of Timothy. He was a man serving the needs of others with a tested faith and the gospel as the priority of life. I'm gonna read it one more time, look at it. He was a man serving the needs of others with a tested faith and the gospel as the priority of life. This is Timothy. Now, here's where I'm gonna begin to nudge us toward our application at the end. The question for you and I is not, okay, I see Timothy. I wanna ask you this, and I really want you to answer it in your mind. Who do you know? Uh, it doesn't have to be like a super close friend or it just, it's like, who do you know in your sphere of life who serves the needs of others with a tested faith and the gospel as priority of life? Who do you know around you, near you that fits that description? Now, the reason I press this there, y'all, is because the text does. And what I mean by that is Timothy and Epaphroditus, yes, they are biblical examples. <clears throat> and, they're, and they're worth emulating. But what Paul was saying to the Philippian church in, 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 in that day is, okay, Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus, these, are, these were men that they actually touched talk to, were face to face, heart, do you see what I'm saying? They were real people in their world. And so listen, our application, yes, includes Timothy and Epaphroditus, but I'm telling you, it, it, Paul's expectation is that in our day, you know, that, that who's in our world right now like that? With that, let's go to Epaphroditus. It's verses 25 to 30. It continues, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking 
in your service to me. I wanna back up and I'm gonna give you uh, the backstory. Rob and I have done this all through the series and we, we have to keep coming back to it. But when I give you the backstory, it's like, oh, that's why Paul said what he did about Epaphroditus. So let's get the backstory. Paul is in a prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. The little church in Philippi that he had founded earlier sends him a financial gift. A member of the church at Philippi named Epaphroditus is sent with the financial gift to Rome to help Paul while he's in jail. Why? Because Roman prisoners did not eat on Roman tax dollars. So if you're in prison in Rome, you, you better hope you've got friends, someone somewhere who will send the funds to clothe you and feed you while you're in that jail. And the Philippians said, we're with you. We're gonna support you the whole time you're there. You with me on that? So Epaphroditus brings it. Now, we also know that the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to stay with Paul, to be with him till the end, whatever the verdict may be on his life. So Epaphroditus went to be with Paul and to stay with him. Paul gets word from Epaphroditus, here's what's going on in the church at Philippi. <laughs> there's dissension. <laughs> we got problems. Um, there, there, there's some false teachings. Paul says, well, I'm gonna write him a letter. Paul writes a letter to the Philippian church. That's the book we're reading right now. It's the letter we're reading is the letter of Philippians. So Paul now wants to send this letter back to Philippi. And this is where we grab Timothy. You notice the first part, he said, now Timothy's with me, I hope to send him to you soon. Paul does not wanna send the letter with Timothy because he wants Timothy to stay with him until he sees how things will turn out, i.e., I want Timothy with me until to know whether I'm alive or dead. And then Timothy will come and give you that news, you see? But he had to wait. The verdict hadn't come out. He's waiting to get a death sentence or a life sentence. So what does Paul do? He says, I'm gonna send Epaphroditus back because the letter needs to go now, but Timothy needs to stay with me. Now, Epaphroditus, as he came with the finances to Paul, got sick we don't know if it was during the trip or while with Paul. Y'all, he nearly died. While in Rome with Paul, word gets back to his family, friends. He's, he, uh, Epaphroditus may die. Can you imagine how distressed they were? We know that Epaphroditus himself was distressed, that his family doesn't know, is he alive, is he dead, what's happened to him? So Paul says, Epaphroditus, I'm gonna send you back. And I'm gonna write to them. And, and Paul writes to the Philippians and says, when he comes back, honor him. Now, when you read what just happened, does that now make sense why he said, look, here's what Epaphroditus is. Here's what he is to me. It's almost like he's making a defense of Epaphroditus. And it's kind of odd, but, but, but listen, the reason he makes the defense is, is they sent Epaphroditus to stay with Paul. So for Epaphroditus to come back early, it could be for them, they could go, wait, you're supposed to still be there. You failed in the mission we sent you on. And so Paul says, he's not failed. I'm sent, let me tell you what I think of him. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But he wants, he wants Epaphroditus to go back and go, Epaphroditus didn't fail in the mission. I'm sending him back to you early for these reasons. I want you to know he's well, because yes, he almost died. Everybody with me on that. So now when we read that, we go, oh, okay, so he's, 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 he's really, in a sense, lifting up Epaphroditus to them to ensure that he's treated well when he gets back. 
He says these things, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. My brother. I mean, that's a familial term. That's when you and I call someone a brother or sister who is not a blood brother or sister, what are we saying? They're like a brother or sister to me. This is how much they mean to me. My fellow worker, we're in this together, just like Timothy was with me in the gospel. Epaphroditus is my fellow worker as an apostle. And then he says, my fellow soldier. Y'all, I've not experienced this. Some of you have. There is perhaps no human endeavor that produces a bond like men and women who fight in war together. Do you know, I mean, you can see it in movies. I mean, you can stand at the Vietnam Memorial today and watch men walk up there in their 70s and 80s bawling as they touch a name on the, do you know what I'm saying? The, the, the bond of war, Paul says, this is what this man is to me. We're in a war, spiritual war. And he's my fellow soldier. He says to them, now, Philippians, he's your messenger, the word's apostle. You sent him to me and he's your minister. You sent him to do a, a religious, a spiritual work for me. Twice he says, I mean, the man almost died, you all. And then he says he almost died for the work of Christ. I wanna, wanna explain that. What is the work of Christ? Well, we get a clue to that back in chapter, in chapter two, back in verse 22, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. When, when, when Paul says of Epaphroditus, he almost died doing the work of Christ. I wanna say work of Christ, work of the gospel, they're the same. Listen to this, chapter one, verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Chapter one, verse seven, you are all partakers with me in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Chapter one, verse 12, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Only let your manner of life, chapter one, verse 27, only let your manner of life be as citizens worthy of the gospel. Verse 27, still striving side by side for the faith of what? The what? Say it. It's the gospel for the work of the gospel. Now I wanna bring what he says of Epaphroditus. This man risked his life to advance the gospel because you and I, may I say this without taking too much time to say, you and I exist for the advance of the gospel. When we say our mission is to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus, that is, to advance the gospel, <laughs> that people come to faith in Christ, grow in Christ and help others grow in Christ. So we are about the advance of the gospel. Now he says of Epaphroditus, this man almost died trying to advance the gospel. And I just wanna, that, that was so true then that, I mean, Paul is sitting in a jail y'all because he preached the gospel and he could get a verdict legally, be executed under the law. I mean, it happened back then. You preach the gospel, you could die now, Epaphroditus' case, it was, it was a illness. I mean, he was doing the work of the gospel, but he got sick in it and could have died while doing that work. But what about us today? Let's come over here to the 21st century. We're in Middle Tennessee. How many of us, don't raise your hand, think, you know, I may die if I share my faith. You know, I, that, 
That's gotta be so rare for us, okay? So how do we apply what he's saying to our place today? I would take the intent is there's a tremendous cost to living for the gospel. It costs them their physical life. But the, the intent of the passage, the intent as we interpret it, there's a tremendous cost if you're gonna live for the gospel. So what could be the tremendous cost to us today? May I suggest several. To live to advance the gospel in our day could mean the death of your reputation. I think about kids in school today. You, you take a, one of your kids that's at school and, and your kid stands up for Jesus. I mean, they, 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 risk, they could risk, do you know what I'm saying? They're, they're suddenly out. It could cost you your career. Now, some of you may have experienced this, but truly you take a stand for Christ, for the gospel, um, you know, you're moving along in your career and something goes and you go, you know, this is where I draw the line for the gospel. May I say this? That's your career from then on. That, that can actually happen and does. Certainly cost your financial security. Your career goes this way, your finances do too. Some of you can lose money, contracts, whatever it may be, because you advance, you're about advancing the gospel, not chasing the dollar. Your social standing, your position. See, there's a lot of costs if we're truly advancing the gospel where we live, work, and play. With that, let me summarize the kind of man Epaphroditus is in this way and put this up on the screen. Epaphroditus, he was a man who risked his life and endured distress because he lived to advance the gospel. There's Epaphroditus. You see the overlap between the two? So I'll ask the same question because this is where we have to go. Not do you see Epaphroditus. My question is, who in your world who do you know who risks their life in the ways I've just described, endures distress because they live to advance the gospel? Y'all, there's gotta be that person in our, in our sphere of influence, not just the person on the page of the Bible. That's, what, that's where this text goes. Who's the example worth imitating for you and for me? It's not just enough to see them, y'all. We got, we, we got to take another step to not just observe, but what, what, how do we go from observing to that person is shaping my life, okay? This is where the rubber meets the road. I've got a short story I want to show you. And I'm hoping that the story of these two women shows us, this takes this text and puts it in our day and shows, oh, that's how one person can shape the life of another. This is, what it, this is what it could look like. And quite frankly, this is what I think it does look like in our day. Now, many of you know um, Mandy Blanton. Maybe, maybe some of you would know Mandy, but a lot may not. Mandy, because they, they're at the Brentwood campus, but Mandy's the wife of Aaron Blanton. Aaron Blanton was our worship pastor for many years. It was seven years ago that Mandy and Aaron, we, we recruited them to come here to Tennessee, which is Aaron's home, to be our worship pastor. And, and today, Aaron is our uh, executive leader of communication. So he oversees all of our communication now. So one of the women in this story is gonna be Mandy Blanton. And while Mandy was in California, she met a woman named Martha Denick. So it's a Martha and a Mandy 
a, a Mandy and a Martha story. And what transpires, just, just watch the story, what transpires in a moment proves to be over a period of time, the very thing that changed, transformed Mandy Blanton's heart. Mandy Blanton is not who she was before she met Martha Denick, and it's their story I want us to watch. Take me back to the, to the day that you were, you, you saw uh, Martha and you, you took a step of faith. Yes, so that day when she shared at a mops or something, she was a speaker and I just remember, oh my goodness, that, that woman, I, 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 I want, I want that, whatever she has, like whatever that is, there was something. And so I, after she shared and after um, we were all finished, um, I just went up to her and I was like, hi, (laughs) my name's Mandy. She's like, I'm Martha. And I was like, would, you know, would you mentor me? You know, I was like, I didn't even know like what exactly it meant, but I just knew it was like, is there something that somehow can, can we, you know, hang out and can you mentor me? That's what came out. I don't even think I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that was what she was asking. Mm. It was, will you do life with me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know Mandy had just moved to California. Mm-hmm. It had been just, what, a few months? Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> you, had, you had told me that when, when she asked you to mentor her, one of the one of the simpler things you did was you called her and woke her up. She then was like, what do you, you, do you want me to call you in the morning, you know, so you can have time with the Lord? And I said, no, right? <laughs> I said, no. But I don't remember how long it was when I came back and called and realized, oh, I'll take that call now. So tell me how that, you're asleep, what happens? What's, how's a phone call happen? <laughs> could hear this loud ring and I, it was hard. I mean, it was, it was hard to get up, right? Like, it's still hard. Um, but she, I would leave the room quietly to not wake anyone else or my man and go to my little closet and she'd say, good morning. And then she'd just pray. Usually you just pray. Maybe, you know, of course, bring scripture in that. Are you kidding? And and then I would, I, I think, if I remember correctly, I started in, in John. Like, she would just pray and say, okay. Yeah, are you up? Yeah, are you because up? Are you walking? Was, oh, yeah, are you walking? Yeah, are you, are you up? up? Are you out of bed? Because the rule yeah. was she couldn't answer and say hello because then she'd wake up Aaron. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she'd have to pick up the phone and get out of bed. Yeah. And then I would say, are you in your kitchen or yeah, wherever? Or yeah, I just yeah, didn't want her, hello, goodbye, and then... <laughs> Going back to sleep. sleep because I definitely did that a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the snooze on her. Yeah, she's just like, yeah, the <laughs> What did you notice changing in you? Do you remember what? 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 When did you go? Something's happening in me. What was that? Do you remember some of that? Now, Lord, it's just bringing to my mind how I used to wake up in the morning. I used to wake up with like a. A kid like tapping, mommy, you know, all sweet and ready to see me. <laughs> and I'm like, 
oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, like turn over, just go watch a show, you know, <laughs> go get some Cheerios, you know, like a bear. I'm like, I'm just now remembering this. And then, you know, ah, oh, mama, you know, and no. But then little by little, I was already awake. So I could greet them with God's unconditional love because I had been sitting with Jesus. Like I noticed, I was like, I, I mean, it, and it took me a while to see it, but I was, one, you know, one day I, I remember just thinking, man, I, wow, it's, it must feel pretty good when I like greet them this way versus back when I would just like, gosh, please, you know, like, uh, so, so it breaks my heart. Um, but little by little, I would just remember and go, wow, I'm, I'm kind of patient right now. Like, this is pretty awesome, you know, or, yes. wow, I, I used to yell and I'm, I'm not. I'm not. And so those are the moments where I was like, this is the fruit of the spirit. This is mm -hmm. this is what abiding in me looks like and walking by the spirit looks like. It, and you know, it's just supernatural, all of it. Um, so if someone's down and need help and desperate um, and needs that extra, uh, just just ask. Well, even in scripture, well, he says, ask and you receive, yeah. right? Yeah. And you may not have that available until you ask the Lord. Yeah. And so you say, Lord, ready. I am ready. Yeah. And it didn't take much time together. No. Like it was a call. It was, right. you know, helping me wake up in the morning to be with Jesus. I mean, yes. it's not like we met for coffee all the time. Right. It was really rare, actually. We spoke on the phone. Yeah. It's not too much. It's very simple. It's not too much. It's very simple. You know, I spent at least two hours with those women to go down to five minutes and 29 seconds, which you just saw. And there's a lot to that story, but there's also not a lot to that story. She called her. She encouraged Mandy to read the Gospel of John. They didn't go out and get coffee every week. May I say this? They didn't do a Bible study together. But Martha Denick connected with Mandy Blanton and one simply was helping the other follow Jesus more wholeheartedly. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Don't want to overcomplicate it. Call it mentorship if you want, if that's a little intimidating, which it is for most. Uh, call it discipleship. Whoa, 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 I can't disciple people. You know, call, how about I got a friend and we're walking with Jesus together. How about that? Because that's what that is. Changed both of their lives. I, I love when Mandy said, because she went up and just basically, she didn't know what she was asking. Mentor me. She, has, she doesn't know what she's going, what she has, I want. Will you help me get Jesus more? Um, you want me to call you in the morning? No. <laughs> you know, it's like, no. And Mandy said, no. Do you know, and I'm saying this because Mandy said it many times to me, because I said, well, what made you make the call to say, call me? And Mandy, Mandy said, she said, it was sometime after that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure it could have been one of those mornings with kids tapping on her mommy, mommy, but she just said it was sometime after that. I just lost it on, on our oldest who was at the time, I wanna say 
three or four. Just lost it. Don't raise your hand, but who has not lost it on a kid? And so in that moment when it's like, Ugh, I can't believe what I just did. May I say it this way? In a moment of desperation, I think I'll take that call. <laughs> and that's the way it works, you all. It's like oftentimes we'll say, hey, hey will you help me? Oh, it'll cost you this. I don't, I, I'm gonna keep going <laughs> until you can't keep going. And then you ask for help. And may I say, to bring it in the very center of our text, to ask someone else for help is a profound act of humility. Where have we been for the last three weeks? In the humility of Christ. You ask. You don't even know what you're asking, but you just, because you need help. Wow, that's humility. Y'all, your deepest joy, the most significant change in your heart and life, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but the deepest transformation of heart will not be because of Rob or my sermon. It won't be because you listen to these podcasts. It won't be because you went to this seminar. <laughs> All of those things, <clears throat> helpful, but I'm telling you at the core of it will be somebody who walk with you and help you follow Jesus more closely. That's it. Which brings us to our invitation to joy. Again, look up at the screen. I've got two statements here. And really it's you saying yes or no. Will you follow Martha's example and make yourself available to help someone follow Jesus more fully? You know, when I say, say yes or no, you're, this is between you and God. This is the Holy Spirit in you, prompting you, leading you. <laughs> you're not signing up for anything. You're not gonna, I'm not gonna ask for your name so I can, you know, I can, I can, I can take your name and, you know, oh, good, I, I know someone for you. Uh, Bill, I'm gonna connect you with Rob and uh, Jim, I'm gonna connect you with Steve and, and, and you know, Susie, I'm gonna connect you with Jim. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. But listen, if you say yes, if you just say the Spirit, I'm available. The Spirit will bring that person or those people. Just trust the Spirit. And some of you say, oh my gosh, I can't, I don't have all the answers. You'll never have all the answers. That's not why that person's coming to you. I need all the answers to life. No, 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 no. You can take them to the answers. What if they ask me something I don't know? I hope they do because it'll make you more desperate for Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? So there, listen, it's a black hole to stand here and say, uh, you know, I'm just not, you know, I, I need more maturity. I, I, gotta, I gotta go to seminary. I gotta, I gotta study my Bible more for it. No, that's a black hole. It's I'm available. Now I will say this, to, to do that, that's not everyone in the room. I totally get that, but it's more people than you think. Now, the second question I'm asking you to say yes or no to is, Will you follow Mandy's example and, and make the ask for spiritual help? There's an act of pure humility that will change your life. And may I say, question number two is for every human being in this room and everyone online. 
including me. <laughs> That's for all of us. Answer the question. Let me invite you to stand. And as you stand, I'll invite you to take the elements of the table. Just answer the question and trust the Spirit. We come to this table as a remembrance, the, the physical, look, there's, there's real juice here. There's a real piece of bread. It's real, it's tangible because it is the tangible reminder that Jesus gave to the church to remind us of his life, death, and resurrection. We come to the table together to remind us that it is in, that we're one body <laughs> in Christ. <clears throat> we, y'all, we eat this stuff and it goes in us. <laughs> you know, that's, it's a reminder that Jesus, you see, when you put your trust in Christ, he's not just near you, men and women, he's with you, but he's in you. He's for you, always. For your body broken, Lord Jesus, we break the bread and we receive it mindful <clears throat> that you died for us. Take and receive the bread. And this cup, Lord Jesus, representing your blood, life is in the blood, your life poured out. You were, <clears throat> you were separated from the Father <clears throat> by your death so that we would never have to experience that. We remember that and we say, thank you, Lord Jesus, take a drink. <clears throat> I am so grateful for what we're about to do. Our song of response is a reminder that God's greatest blessings, you all, are twofold. Let me put it this way. God's greatest blessings are his, pres his presence and the presence of relationships that he gives us. That's, that's the greatest blessings. I, I, trust me, when you and I are on our deathbed or we step out of this planet in death, it, we won't, if we have the chance to, our reflection won't be a reflection and go, our greatest blessing was my money, was my job, my career, what I built. It, it, it won't be any of that. It won't be. It will be the nearness of God and the deep richness of relationships he has granted us. Because life in Jesus is relational at the core. We remind ourselves of that in this blessing.